but moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. So welcome to this latest edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. I'm your host, Darren Clear, and today I'm going to be having a very interesting conversation with Ali Taylor, who's the CEO of Listen Up Music, which is a mental health charity, not surprisingly focused on music, based in Sydney, New South Wales. And this is a wide-ranging conversation I had with Ali about how he built the Listen Up Music charity, what his plans are at the moment within the charity and what his plans are in the future. And I also touch on his work in the wellness space for Woolworths and how he deals with people differently based on their own personal backgrounds and what they might be going through at any one time. And also focusing more broadly on the importance that music can play in focusing on their mental health. And I think you'll get the picture of a very holistic approach that Listen Up Music and Ali have in general, which will hopefully help you to deal with your own mental health, but also give you some tools that may be relevant to helping others who may be experiencing any mental health difficulties. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation today with Ali Tate. So Ali, I'll start by getting you to just give me the the two-minute rundown of your career to date and what has led you to setting up Listen Up Music and then I guess within that process also tell us a little bit about what Listen Up Music does. Sure, two minutes is going to be difficult but I'll do my best. As long as it takes, Um, as long as it takes. Sure, Uh, so uh, Listen Up Music is the culmination of a coming together of two things. Um, first of all, my passion for music, and second of all, my passion for mental health. In terms of the journey and how we got to where we are now, uh, I guess we can probably trace it uh, way back to my university days when I was looking for um, a different way to spend my time with um, my best friend, apart from just going out and having boozy weekends all the time. And we decided to get together and listen to um, our top 10 favorite songs of all time and tell the stories behind those songs. In doing that, we ended up finding out so much about each other that we didn't even know from six years of knowing each other and, um, and realized after two hours of listening to amazing music about how powerful it was uh, bringing together music and, um, and people to, to be able to share stories. And at that stage, it was an annual thing. We got together and more and more people got together with us and wanted to be a part of it up until um, a pivotal moment in my personal and career life when I met my now wife, who had uh, four sons um, from her previous husband, and he uh, sadly um, took his own life. And that was really when I met her and we got together as a, as a couple, um, I, that was my real first eye-opening uh, situation of what happens um, with um, a suicide or a bereavement within, um, within a family and the knock-on effect it had on the four young boys and, and, um, and my wife and, and their family and friends. And at that time, it was just about the time where we were going to come together and have the 10th running of this event and uh, we decided that we would look at if we could do a little fundraiser and a raffle and raise some money for mental health at the same time and realize the power of putting um, both mental health and music together was yeah was was uh, really really high so we then 
emigrated over to Australia and um, through my professional career, I ended up working for the Woolworths Group and um, through a couple of uh, transitions of roles, ended up becoming the wellbeing manager to look after uh, mental health across, across the Woolworths Group. And at that time was a time when these little annual community events that we were running um, took on a new life and realized that actually there were so many people engaging with it that we wanted to create something where we could have this messaging happening more than just once annually within our small group of people. So we set up um, the charity and started with an event which is now in its fifth year, which is um, the Songwriting Prize, which is a nationwide songwriting competition. And its unique um, selling point is that it is all to do with spreading positive messages of mental health. So we have a theme every year for them to do that. And um, and then I suppose the coming together full circle of everything was when we ran an iteration of the Songwriting Prize within Woolworths two years ago for Woolworths team members and uh, had um, a grand final and had people coming from all over the country uh, together to, to perform and share their stories and um, really shine a spotlight on mental health. And that was, yeah, two years ago. We ran it again last year in Woolworths. And now for us um, as a charity, we're now looking at um, how we can expand our reach even further. And about two weeks ago, we announced that we were going to be uh, doing Australia's first ever mental health music festival, which will be taking place in January 2021. So that's a real uh, very high level over my kind of journey within my career and um and the coming together of my passions which uh, are music and mental health well tell us a little bit about Torchfest, so because that's that's the music festival that you just uh you just referenced how where is it going ahead and are you expecting to have to run this under covid restrictions and if so what sort of restrictions are going to be in place for that yeah sure so so Torchfest is the festival i've just mentioned and the idea behind it is uh, there are so many music festivals that happen uh, on an annual basis. And when you look at uh, the music industry and the challenges that it has with mental health, and then you look at festivals and the presence of any mental health um, charities or organizations, it's usually a token tent um, in the corner somewhere, not at the heart of the festival, and really just looks like to, to us a, a kind of a tick box exercise. So like, yep, yeah, we've got a mental health charity involved. And that's that. Whereas we wanted to put it right front and center and have it running throughout. So the whole vision for Torchfest and the reason why it's called Torchfest is that everyone has um, a torch song. And the torch song is this belief that um, it's the song that the light that gets you through and that all of our performers that are performing at Torchfest, of which there are nearly 60, they will all play their torch song as part of their set. And at that point, when they play that torch song, we fully expect the artist to be able to engage with the audience on a deeper level and for audience members to see parts of themselves in the performers and the performances and have this real bringing together of community. And also we'll have a dedicated stage to mental health and we'll have um, mental health partners and practitioners and workshops and all sorts of stuff happening on that stage and really uh, hoping that our attendees will have an amazing time at the festival, but also go away with some resources with own mental health and also others. 
in terms of the timing of it and uh, the potential for it going ahead, the unique thing about our festival is that we we didn't want to have um, an outdoor festival in a sprawling field with thousands of people that we couldn't kind of look after and 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 make sure that everybody was was safe. So we are having the the festival at the Factory Theatre Complex in Marrickville, which has six venues within this one complex and a capacity of just 1200 people so it's purposely intimate and at the moment they are following all government um, guidelines and restrictions and have a covid safe plan and when it comes to january we are fully expecting to be able to go ahead with the festival and we'll be able to make sure that all of those restrictions are in place because of the unique setup of of the of the venue and and most importantly is at this time of covid so many people's mental health is being impacted and the very thing that they could engage with that would would help would be to be able to see live music and be part of a community and have that kind of release so we we fully believe that our mental health music festival will appeal to those who are missing live music and will also appeal to those who have had an impact on their mental health um, during this time. And I'm guessing, so your hope for the festival in some ways would be this is going to be people's first step on on the journey to better mental health. It's not going to be, oh, we're all going to get there together and we're going to have a great day and then everyone's going to drop the ball and we'll see you again in a year's time. I mean, what sort of follow through do you expect you're going to get with with connecting people with the cancellers and things like that and, and these messages on the day itself? It's a, a great question. The, the the examples that I always look to is is our songwriting competition, which, as I said, has been running for five years now. We've done iterations across Australia. We've done iterations in the UK and iterations within um, the Woolworths group. And what happens with our events is that people feel very safe. They feel they can have the ability to be vulnerable and know that they're supported. And as all our feedback has come from our performers and attendees before, is that once they are part of the Listen Up family, that's that's exactly what it is. It's not you come to an event and then we see you later in a year. It's, you know, there's so many things for people to engage with throughout the year with us. And we pride ourselves on checking in on people and making sure that they're okay and giving people opportunities to connect and collaborate. So we fully expect the same thing to happen with the festival, that people will come to that. And and then once they're engaged with us, you know, whatever support they may need or whatever other events they want to attend or opportunities that, you know, that we, we can give to them, that's that's something that just naturally seems to occur with our events. And do you have an in, in-house counsellors or are you your more referral service and you're referring them to, to external people? Yeah, we we are very much, um, we see ourselves as an early intervention prevention charity. Um, We, you know, there's another uh, prominent charity support act within the the music and mental health space who um, have those those counsellors and that counselling line. Um, And we have other partners as well that we're working with, um, including specialist EAP um, organisation called Mindstar, who will be uh, providing counsellors to us on the day. So no, we we firmly believe that we need to collaborate with other organisations and that actually helps with the messaging around this kind of community family feel to what we do in, is that we have all the right people involved that if someone needs something at the acute end and needs to talk to counsellors, we will refer them to a partner of ours who'll be 
um, in place for the for the duration of the festival. But for us, um, we, we we don't offer that service ourselves, and we like to be able to signpost people to um, the specific support or resources that they may need. Well, let's go back to the start again. So when you when you were talking about your journey, the very first thing that you said when you went through your top 10 songs, it actually reminded me of a party I went to a few years ago now, and it was an iPod party, and everyone had to bring their iPods, and then the host would play a couple of songs off your iPod across the night, and we all had to tell stories behind the songs that we'd chosen, so very similar to the story that you that you shared and we we actually all commented on the end of the night how much we learnt about each other uh across the night and we were all sort of felt like we were pretty good friends but all the stories that we heard some were funny some were quite personal uh gave a bit more of a picture of where people had come from and what they'd done uh through their life i mean what is it about music do you think is it is it just it is such a personal thing someone's music tastes uh that it, that it allows you to share these sort of stories what have you found that is particularly about music over the years that allows people to open up a bit more I think there's there's two main things. First of all, I haven't met a single person in my life that doesn't like or love music. Yes, we all have very different tastes and different genres, but there's nobody that I know that doesn't like music in some way, shape or form. So it's really easy for people to talk about it because everyone has a favorite song or artist or album. So that's the first part. And the second part is, is I think, when people want to open up or talk about things that are difficult, if you imagine meeting someone and, and meeting for a coffee and you get the pleasantries out the way and then you just dive straight in and say, so what's going on with you or what's something that, that's been um, traumatic for you in your life? And immediately those barriers go up and people just don't feel like they can just dive straight into that. What music does and, and indeed the arts um, in general is that it, enables people to talk about their passions and talking about something that they're very comfortable about and very passionate about enables them then to feel safe and confident to be able to talk about other things. So it's almost like you're disguising the serious matters by the memories that these songs bring up or the emotions or smells or, you know, there's all sorts of things that music brings out in people. And I just think having that almost disguised by saying, tell me about this song from your childhood enables people to be able to talk about it without having that trigger in them to, to, to think, oh, this is this is a really tough story. It's connected to the song and they're ta- telling the story about the song and what it means to them as opposed to tell me about this traumatic experience that you've had or this difficult situation that you've had. So, and I've, and I've always found that throughout my entire life. You know, if you think about songs in general, when you listen to them and everyone has these songs that, you know, pick them up and, you know, make change their mood. We have other songs that you put on when when you're angry that help you to get through those emotions and then love songs and all that kind of stuff that incites those uh, memories and feelings as well. It's just such an emotive thing that, yeah, everybody everybody resonates with, with it in some way, shape or form. Do you remember what your favourite song was back then when you went through your, your top 10 songs together? The very first year I do, yeah, I actually have a li- I actually have a list of every top ten songs that I've done every year that we've um, done this, and we did and we did one just a few weeks ago with some new friends who hadn't um, hadn't done the um, the top ten night before. But yeah, the very first one was a song called "Butterflies and Hurricanes" by Muse, and Muse are my all time favorite band and have been for you know more than ten years now. 
and yeah that's just a song that has for me just has everything um has amazing build from nothing to this incredible crescendo and it's my driving tune and it you know is a mood changer for me and has incredible musicianship throughout and so yeah it ticks ticks all the boxes for me have you found this process as a way of discovering other artists and other forms of music and and gaining an appreciation for that as well absolutely um especially through well, through the, t- the top 10 nights originally, you know, listening to other people's songs and hearing the stories, not only do you get new favourite artists, new favourite songs, but you have an appreciation for artists or songs that maybe um, you didn't like before or you <clears throat> you didn't have a, um, a great um, relationship with that artist. or So you end up listening to it in a different light, but also through the evolution from top 10 nights to listen up and having our songwriting prize, you know, we get thousands of entries over the years we've done it and there's all these songs and genres and they all have stories attached because of the theme of our com- uh, our competition so yeah i i have probably doubled or tripled maybe more at my song library over the years because of all these amazing people and stories that i've been opened up to and tell us a little bit about the music mental health uh, workshops that you run so what is that a sort of a, a spin on the uh, or the music mental health course is that a spin on the top ten nights that you sort of have, have put into that course now? Um, there's a there's an element to it. So yeah, there's an exercise in there that is taken straight from the top ten night. But essentially, what we wanted to do, you know, I'm a an accredited mental health first aider. I've seen a number of online and in person education and training programs on mental health. But um, at the time that we created it, there wasn't anything that again had music at its center. So we created two different versions of the course, one for music fans and music lovers, and it centers on safe language, self-care, and the role that music can play in mood and um, and how it can help you with uh, your own personal journey. And then a second version of it, which is for music industry professionals, which really looks at all the acute things that are, are presented upon people within the industry in terms of working conditions, isolation, um, financial problems, and really delves into those specific issues for the music industry and how there are things that we can do in in terms of putting a self-care plan in place and a buddy system and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a coming together of a lot of things that I've been educated and trained in throughout the years and and then uh, tailored to those two different audiences. And I guess the challenge that we have with the the mental health music course at the moment is it's obviously the restrictions with COVID because it's purposely a face-to-face in-person training. And again, just like our our festival and, and the question around live streaming is, you know, we really need to make sure of the safety of the people that are engaging with it. So having them there, going through all these steps and exercises, giving them support, um, checking in, you can see how people are reacting to different parts of the course. If we did that in an online environment, um, it's much more difficult to, to do that. So we're really just looking at how we can tackle that at the moment and still provide support to people whilst not being able to be there in person to deliver the, this course. And I, the, there is research that shows musicians they do have a different sort of makeup of their brain, for want of a better word, uh, than, than people outside that. I mean, have you noticed that yourself, that they, there is specific differences between musicians and and music fans yeah absolutely um i think in 
you can almost expand it out to creatives in general. Um, and I think I'm lucky in a sense in that working the role I do at Woolworths in a very corporate environment for one of the biggest employers in the country and then working in a charity environment with creatives just seeing the vast differences between how music industry organizations and people what their day looks like how how things are structured the level of uncertainty versus the extreme organization and and yeah the 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 very makeup of of corporates and how they they work they couldn't be any more different in terms of industry and they couldn't be any more different in terms of how um they think how they um how they conduct themselves and yeah i think i've i've seen that from a very young age as well because my mother's a professional musician and my father and my stepfather were both workers in um corporate organizations and seeing the differences from you know 4 years old with with my mom and how she how she worked within the music industry yeah there's definite definite big differences between the two and how have you approached promoting wellness in in the corporate space uh, that you've been in at Woolworths? Uh, so, um, that's a good question. It's um, it's a very a very difficult one to answer as well because when at Woolworths, you know, when I came into the role, uh, we didn't have a wellbeing team, we didn't have a wellbeing offering, so we really needed to tackle it from scratch and you know look at things like policy and processes and make sure we had all the basics and fundamentals in place before we started to look at some of the game changers and that journey in itself over the last three and a half years has been incredible to see uh, the real shift from perception of of well-being and mental health even just three and a half years ago to how it's now prioritized and the huge amount of focus that is put on it and yeah I just I guess the to answer your question around how it's been how it's been tackled has has always been with with team first and team member first and safety and um making sure that it's not it's not a corporate approach it's more of a a person a personable approach so this um this sense of caring and supporting and you know wanting wanting our our team to be safe is a very different approach to how you'd maybe approach other issues within within corporates but yeah it's really difficult to it's a really difficult one to answer but yeah i guess in in, in kind of summary it's been trying to think of every single person within the organization as an individual and the challenges that they're having and if they were your sister or your brother or cousin what would you want the place of employment that they work at to do for that person if they were struggling and that's that's the lens that we've tried to look at it through. I think when you're saying corporate, what that sort of says to me is, and this is what, what my experience has been, there's a lot of sort of box ticking that goes on and they say, well, this is what we've done for our staff in the wellness space. And yes, tick that box. But it, it, And that might that might help 10 people out of 100. You know, So there's 90 people that have got nothing out of that, but you've, you've done that. Whereas when you get dig down, you're actually making personalised programs for people then you know you're touching uh, those people and, and you're helping the, with their wellness in a way that's relevant to them. And I think that's the, that's the key thing that it sounds like you've, you've tapped into there. How have you quantified your results there? So how, how, what, what makes you comfortable that we have reached uh, people across Woolworths in this sense? Keeping a, a feedback loop open and constantly listening um, and 
you know, through some of the things that we've <clears throat> implemented, some of the programs, some of the events that we've run, some of the supports that we've put out there is constantly listening and asking for feedback and making sure that people feel that they can tell us exactly whether those things have landed and they're the, and they're the right things for them um, and what else that they would like to see um, and opening up and having, you know, listening sessions and workshops where people feel like they can come forward and, and, and say whether those things have landed. It's obviously a real challenge and really difficult to listen to or even um, reach everybody it's you know over two hundred thousand people across the country it's um it's a it's a tough ask but uh but yeah that's that's key for us is making sure that people feel that they can feedback and give ideas and and you know i think the the biggest sort of testament to what we've done at Woolworths in terms of making sure that we've got the right things in place is through a rollout of a specific mental health training um and initiative where it's now resulted in Woolworths having the largest trained group of um, individuals on mental health anywhere in the world. So over over thirty thousand of our team members have now done this training, and that's um, you know that's a massive amount of people to um, have done in in a relatively short space of time. It's less than two years since we since we launched that. So that for me is a clear indication that the things that we're putting out there are are resonating. And how have you changed things up or have you changed things up because of the COVID situation? Because obviously a lot of Woolworths staff are on the front line dealing with uh, dealing with the public during this time. How have you changed up your approach to wellness uh, across Woolworths during this last month? Yeah, it's been, it's been difficult because, uh, you know, there's been restrictions in place and iso- isolation imposed. And, you know, with having a workforce across the whole country, there are obviously unique challenges. You look at the Victoria situation at the moment in comparison to the rest of the country, it needs a very different approach. Um, So we have engaged people from across the organization and put a a working group together that, you know, totals of more than 30 people who are looking at what are the kind of things that our people are going to need now. Obviously, financial support is huge and isolation or working from home or parenting during this time. So we've looked to amplify our messaging around the offerings that we have in those spaces and looking to um, add additional supports for people who who may be um, having struggles or impacts that wouldn't ordinarily be there. So again, just looking at what's happening across the country because given our footprint, um, when something is happening across the country, it's a good indication that's happening to our people. Um, and then as I said, listening to what's happening internally and the types of things that people are wanting support with and trying to enable those things quickly and and, um, and give people opportunities to, to, to be able to get that support. And I guess having that training and the, and the 30,000 people you referenced that you've trained in mental health, that's really going to be paying dividends at the moment, isn't it, where, where it's going to be a focus of the organisation? Absolutely. We've got these people who are really passionate about the subject and they want to help and they want to support so yeah absolutely leveraging um, that group of people to help us uh, get the messages out there and um, be our eyes and ears on the ground as well yeah it's absolutely key and referencing back now to listen up music can you can you trace back to what the sort of eureka moment was for you where you really thought I'm onto something here and and we're seeing some really positive results out of this 
Yeah, I think I think the there was those two major Eureka moments. One of them was actually when we first emigrated to Australia because the tenth year of the top ten night was just before we left the UK and we were gonna leave that behind and go, that's nice. We had a birthday cake and some candles and, and a little party to say, you know, here's 10 years of top 10 night and now we're leaving the country. And speaking to our new friends when we first arrived, they were all saying, I love the idea of it. Can we just do one more? Can you please just let us actually experience one of these events? And then after that, we can put it to rest. So we did. And one of my really close friends now said something to me in that evening that had never left me and it was just simply have you ever thought about aligning these nights with a charity and of course at that stage I hadn't I just knew the power of the evenings and you know looked at the strengthening of relationships and bonds and at that stage we decided that we would you know support and see if we could do a fundraiser for a charity Um, we ended up doing a top 10 music night and we reached out to all sorts of people, organizations um, who came along and supported and donated gifts. And we, you know, we raised over $2,000 in one night with about 10 of us at a night. And at that point I was thinking, this is, this is really powerful. If we can make this happen on a grander scale, then we can make some real difference. And then I guess the second Eureka moment would have been when we first launched the the songwriting competition and we're expecting to have, you know, about 40 or 50 entries and have one grand final event and and just have it as a one-off. And in that first year, we had over 700 people enter. And for a brand new competition with no real reach or reputation, we were just like, there are a lot of people here that want to talk and want to share their stories so we ended up having to put on a Sydney and a Melbourne semi-final and then a grand final and having all three of those events in our first year sell out and having, you know, over 200 people at our grand final in a room where I knew none of the artists personally. I knew, you know, very few of the people in the audience. And that was the second Eureka moment where I thought, look, we've been able to engage 700 people with the competition we were able to have over 200 strangers come together in a room to hear these stories and this music. There's, there's got to be something more that we can do. And that was the first, the first planting of the seed in my head, which made me think we've got this competition, but how cool would it be if we could put on a festival? And, and that was, uh, and now, you know, fingers crossed, we're, we're going to be in a position where that will become a reality. And where do you see Listen Up Music in, in 10 years' time? You know, Blue Sky Thinking that we have the the songwriting competition happening in multiple countries across the world. You know, we've run it in Australia and the UK, both to great success. So there's no reason why we can't take that to other countries. And for Torchfest, um, I want it to be recognised as um, one of the premier festivals in the country. And I want it to follow the model of um, a number of the other festivals where it's a touring festival. So we can have it in Sydney, but seeing the work and the feedback we hear from people in rural and regional and remote towns is being able to take the festival to somewhere where they don't get access to live music of this sort of caliber and yeah be able to look back on a year and see that we've had you know four or five versions of Torchfest happening in different states across the country but yeah 10 years is a long way away but I would um looking back on what we've been able to achieve you know we're only 
in April this year, we were only a charity for 12 months. So we'd done work before and supported other charities previously, but we've only been a charity for just over 12 months. And, you know, we've got semi-final events of our songwriting competition happening in four states and we've got a grand final and a festival and all this stuff that we're putting on. And that's during um, a year where there's been so much restriction on us because of COVID. So 10 years from now, who, who's to say that it couldn't be even bigger than the blue sky I just painted for you? How good are you at delegating tasks? I mean, how hands-on do you anticipate to be as uh, Listen Up grows? <laughs> I, I have no problem with delegating tasks. I think the issue that I have is that I just love so much what we do and I love seeing the impact on the people. So I'm, I'm very much a hands-on CEO. Um, so get involved in quite a lot of the operational stuff as well. But our, our team or our volunteer team has grown quite measurably over the last uh, three or four months. And we now have about 12 volunteers who are consistently working for us. And my plan is to be able to give gainful employment to, to those people as we come out the other side of COVID and see how the rest of the year goes. But I think I'll always want to be involved. Um, I don't want to just be doing the strategic work at the at the high end and then not actually being able to connect with these people because that's that's where it started for me and that's where the passion is and that's where the enjoyment comes for me is being able to see that people who were not in a great spot um, have now been positively impacted as a consequence of the things that we do so yeah I think I'll always be involved in some way shape or yeah I think that's it's right you've got to get the balance right where you're still looking after the high end sides of the business but you're still hands-on enough where you're getting the reward and seeing the benefits uh, that you're creating to people how has your personal journey is, uh, informed the way that you've gone about things with listen up music and and you know sadly most of us have been touched by suicide at, at some stage in our lives how has that informed your journey has it sort of fueled your passion to really make this work uh, and has it, or has it also given you some I guess empathy and understand what people might be going through with their mental health yeah uh, both definitely my personal journey has has had influence and, and input into directionally some of the things that we've been doing and um, you know I mentioned the story about what happened with my stepson's father but also um, I lost um, a best friend from high school to suicide and I lost a friend from primary school to suicide. And, you know, as I've been public about what we do as a charity and, and openly talking about um, mental health and suicide, a number of my friends that I've made along the years um, have been touched by mental health and suicide. And, and therefore, you know, that that feeds into me and, and feeding into wanting other people not to experience that. But I think at the center and the core of everything that I do, and the reason why I get up every morning and do that is is because of my stepsons and and my and my daughter and my, and my my wife because I don't want them I don't want anybody to feel or have experienced and gone through what they have and so yeah every time I kind of look at and ask myself why I'm doing what I'm doing it always comes back to to that um, event because that's what started it in the first place but yeah just naturally because of the people that I come into contact with um, on a daily, weekly basis, um, there are more and more stories that fuel it. And with that as well, it becomes more and more important for me to exercise my own self-care plans and make sure that I um, have enough time to switch off and 
not be involved in it 24-7. And what advice would you have to someone that does have uh, concerns about the mental health of someone that's close to them, whether it's a friend or work colleague? Because, I mean, the are you okay message is fantastic, but it's not always that simple to just go up and, and ask that question. Or, or is it that simple? I mean, what, what, what advice would you have uh, to someone that might have some concerns about other people's mental health? Um, it's actually come up quite a bit over the last couple of weeks because, yes, we're coming towards the three most prominent months in the calendar year for mental health in Australia with IOK Day in September. Then there's Mental Health Month in October and then November in November. Um, and what's kind of started to happen is um, some people have fed back that who are experiencing issues is that having all of those acute messaging for three months is actually potentially impacting them negatively because it's a constant reminder and then for nine months of the year after that there are no major days or major months of, of focus so with that as well like you said that question of is it as simple as asking someone are they are, are they okay um, or are you okay I think in some situations yes if you if you catch that person in the right environment at the right time and they're open to talking they will one of the things that I've been talking about a lot recently is um when there seems to be a high profile celebrity or, or, or person in the media that has um, has died by suicide, there's always this kind of outpouring from people where they put on their social media and say, this is awful. If anyone's ever feeling like they need something, my doors are always open or my phone's always on, please reach out. And for me, that that needs to change. I believe that in those situations, people should be proactively reaching out to people and in this time, especially of social distancing and isolation, you don't know what anyone's going through at any time. And if you're not seeing them, you can't see any changes in their mood or their personality. So I've asked people in our community over the last couple of weeks to, you know, reach out to three people in a week and just call some people and check in and see how they are. And I think in that situation, taking that proactive stance of actually contacting people as opposed to asking people to contact you I think if anyone's been through any um, mental health struggles, the last thing that they're going to do in that situation is actively call someone else because they feel like they're going to be a burden. So do you know what? If you've been triggered by some stuff that's happened in the media and some, you know, if there's been a suicide or something major or traumatic has happened, take that as um, a nudge for you to reach out to other people and um, and see how you can support them. Yeah, I think that's good advice too. It's good for your own mental health, I find, to just reach out to people and just make your way through your phone. It might be someone you might not have spoke to for a while. Just give them a call. And, and even if it's a five, 10 minute conversation, just check in with them, see where they're up to. Uh, and hopefully you might even find, you know, uh, I've found through those conversations over the years, there's been opportunities to actually catch up face to face uh, at some stage because you might be about to cross paths with each other uh, for whatever reason. So I think it's not only good for the other person's mental health, it's something that can be positive uh, for your own mental health. Absolutely, that notion of connecting with people, you know, um, as you said, a five or 10 minute chat it's, it's it's akin to when you're walking down the street and you bump into somebody that you know um in a in a supermarket or something and you stop and have that five minute chat you instantly feel a bit better for having seen them and they, you, you know you've got a smile on your face and um and it's the same thing that if you call someone uh, it could just be that five minutes that they need that day to to help them get through the struggles of the day so and it costs you nothing and like you said it, it, it a positive impact on your own mental health connecting with that person too 
Yeah, I mean, I'm actually currently down the south coast of New South Wales, so we've had a real mental health uh, crisis in, in some respects uh, since the bushfires of last year. And it's something that I've been trying to get people to talk about, and I've actually been uh, trying to get a podcast going where people talk about their experiences through the fire. But I, I find that people have been very reticent to talk about those traumatic experiences. And someone sort of said to me, you might want to just back off a little bit because you might be doing more harm than good trying to get people uh, to talk about things that they don't want to talk about. I mean, have you, have you found that as well within your own sort of journey in dealing with mental health that sometimes you, there, there is a point where you might need to back off or I guess not necessarily even back off, just come at it from a different angle? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are people in my community, in my friendship group, that um, still have things that have happened to them um, in their life that they don't feel comfortable talking about yet because they just don't know what is going to come out from opening those gates. And I know that personally as well with some stuff that's happened in my life that, you know, it took a number of years for me to be able to first open up and talk about it. And I think it may have been detrimental for me to have approached that earlier until I had some form of readiness and it and it actually resonates with some of the training that I did with Suicide Prevention Australia around their lived experience bureau where there's a two-day course that we attended which um, teaches you how to craft your own lived experience story um, in a safe way and enables you to write it as a kind of a speech or as a, a painting or as a, a story or a song or whatever and then being able to actually be able to recite it and 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 go through this incredible two-day journey which was really really impactful very emotional but enabled me to put into words what that story was but as part of that suicide prevention australia did a really great piece of work around personal readiness to make sure that you were ready to do that and i feel like it's the same with somebody who has had traumatic experiences or has got some stuff going on is yes you can ask them if they're okay and you can ask them to talk and you might know that there's something going on but if they haven't got the readiness to do that then you can't force them to do that you've just got to make sure that they're okay and that they're not in immediate danger and let them know that you're there to support them but yeah trying to force someone to talk about difficult matters um, is not necessarily the best um, the best approach and the final question I'd have for you this morning, Ali, is if someone's listening to this and they're, and they're interested in listening up music and maybe they've, they've either had, having a few mental health issues themselves or know other people, what's the best first step that they can take to become involved and find out more about Listen Up Music? I guess there's, the, I guess there's two ways. The, the first is, you know, we have a volunteer program, we have an ambassador program, we have all manner of ways for you to be to get involved in events or our services and you know you can engage with us through our social media or through our website and and uh, and i guess the second way is to um, and at attend one of our events and see for yourself the incredible community that we have built and are continuing to build uh, and see exactly what we're about in person um, and then have a think about how how you might like to be to be involved <clears throat> you know we have as i said we've increased our volunteer numbers in recent months and we're certainly not i don't think we'll ever be at a, a stage where we would say no to a volunteer but what whatever is right for the, the person if you want to be an attendee or you want to 
be a volunteer or you want to be a supporter or you want to do a fundraiser for us or anything like that there's so many ways to be involved um, and you can always reach out to us directly through our social media or through email as well yeah there's no i guess there's no one way but i would always love to hear from people yeah, so just to reiterate, so the, the website is listenupmusic.com.au and Torchfest is on the 16th of January 2021 at the Factory Theatre Complex in Sydney. And uh, that, that we're, we're fingers crossed that everything is uh, pretty, is, is, is settled down a little bit more there and we've got a little bit more clear air uh, from the COVID uh, for that to go ahead uh, without any any problems at all so uh thanks again for your time ali is there anything else on the horizon for listen up music that that you'd wanted to share with us before we let you go um no i think yeah torch fest is the biggie in january um and we have our semi-finals for our songwriting prize happening in september and october the challenge for that at the moment is that there's four of them regionally so um our adelaide and brisbane events are going ahead our sydney one is sitting on a knife edge and our melbourne one we're looking at um, potentially moving that online. Um, but yeah, every day the landscape changes and we'll try and um, and support our people and get our events happening in one way, shape or, f- one way, shape or form. Um, but no, I think, um, I think we covered everything. Well, if you get nothing else out of that conversation, hopefully it will just give you the encouragement to go out and make some connection with people you may not have spoken to in a while and hopefully you get on and check out Ali's website and the Listen Up Music website and see what they have to offer and if you're in the Sydney area obviously the Torch Festival is going to be a fantastic event as well and hopefully that gets run without any issues in January 2021. So thanks again for your time today and I hope to join you again soon.